Hey, drama listeners. I am so excited to share this long overdue podcast with Connor and I's dear, dear friends, Nick and Sophia. They host a film podcast. You know, drama is everything, as we like to say. Theater and film and all the crossovers that are in between. Nick and Sophia host an absolutely brilliant podcast called Oscar Wilde. And you're going to absolutely want to go and follow them. All the information, of course, is going to be in the notes below. And also in the notes below is information about our Patreon. So be sure to go ahead and subscribe. We have close friends content for those who subscribe, as well as bonus episodes, at least two extra ones a month. And we've been doing this for a couple of years now. So there's a lot of episodes in the backlog. If you love us, please also consider giving us a rating, maybe even leaving a nice review. I think it's been since September since someone left a review. Give us a little love and we're going to keep doing what we love to do, which is bring you drama. Speaking of, let's get on with the show. Press play. Curtain of an hour in. It's time to take skin. The shade and tea to spill. Ooh, drama. Oh, that's a tweet. Did they book? Who got nom? They option no. Oh, I'm not well. What, what star will we talk to today? Oh, that's a gag, honey. Say no more. Drama. Drama. Welcome to Drama, a podcast that covers theater, pop culture, love, and life. I am Connor McDowell. And I am Dylan McDowell. You know, we should have added an extra category to that little intro this week. Hungover? Oh, Oh, no. Film. Film. Oh, I know. We should have. I... The moment I started saying theater, it really dawned on me. Dylan, this episode is a long time in the making. I know. It's been in like our, our, I call it the hopper of like things that I've wanted to do for so long, but the timing just hasn't worked out. Okay. The theme of drama in 2023 is hashtag closing the loop. Yes. And we're really, we're following up on guests that we, we tried to book in, you know, 2019. We we're following up on ideas we've had for years and I love it so much. Okay. Before we get into our guests though, I want to plug on our Patreon Mm. A new episode dropped last week, which is our bonus content platform, where you get a little more of the twins talking. You were in New York for a week, and we saw some theater, and we talked all about it on the Patreon. And I think it's a really fun episode, so I want to promote it here up at the top so people can go hear about it, including a tweet of mine that's now backstage at Merrily We Roll Along on the wall, and Jonathan Groff was seen posing next to it. That's all I can say here, but we get into it on the Patreon, and I'm still shaking in my boots. I think there's more to be seen from that. I know. But I think what's beautiful about today's episode that's coming up in, in moments is we know doing these now. people <laughs> in such a personal way. We talk to them, I would say, every day. It is every day. Cross-platform, whether it's text or Insta DM or Twitter DM. Don't forget Snapchat. And there's, yes, we do have a Snapchat group as well. And I don't know if I can say the name of our group text because it might show all of our cards too much, but it's fluctuated over the years. But we are, we're personal friends with these people and they are, as I like to say, our podcast sisters. And they host the best podcast about film that literally exists. Mm-hmm. And our listeners, if you haven't heard us on their podcast yet, you're going to want to go and download the episodes right after this. But Dylan, would you do me the honor of bringing on our friends? I absolutely would. <laughs> I'm so excited. Our guests today are Nick and Sophia, co-hosts of Oscar Wilde's, an incredibly popular film and entertainment podcast where they discuss the latest in film from new releases to old favorites, always counting down to next year's Oscars. Both hailing from the Buckeye State 
and alumni of our shared alma mater, The Ohio State University. This duo bring their informed, passionate, and respected points of view to their own podcast. Their episodes range from new movie release breakdowns, Oscar ceremony retrospectives, film anniversary deep dives, and games such as the often controversial and spicy Smash or Pass. Their podcast also hosts the official award season fantasy draft which is trademarked. Both are regular contributors to Awards Watch, where Sophia herself is interviewed theater crossovers, Leslie Manville, Harriet Sampson Harris, and Isabelle Huppert. She is also a connoisseur of the best actress category. In 2020, Nick became the only person to ever correctly predict all 24 categories from the Oscars on Gold Derby, where he is also a contributing writer. Together, they bring their modern Siskel and Ebert sensibility to the world of film for fabulous commentary, hot takes, and insightful podcast episodes. Please welcome to drama Sophia Sophia Simonello and and Nick Nick Hi, guys. I'm so excited to be here. That was such a lovely introduction. That was amazing. Oh, my God. You guys make everything sound so beautiful and eloquent. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Oh, my God. You guys are such a damn delight. It's it's so wonderful to finally do this. How are you guys doing? Are you well? Oh, I mean, can one ever really be fully well in the month of January, right? So <laughs> I, I wouldn't say I'm fully unwell, but I'm not all the way well right now. I think it definitely helps, you know, for our show. We covered the Oscars in award season and award season really picks up in January and February, these like cold, sad winter months. So I'm always happy that we can, you know, find some joy in that, find some frustration, but mostly distractions really with each other in covering award season now. So I I suppose I'm not fully well. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. It is a gloomy time. And I think a lot of the films that come out can be gloomy as well Mm -hmm. because they're sort of artsy or indie. Like I think of that Lucas Hedges film where he was um, sent away to um, the the boy erased. Yes. And was he in both of those? No, wait. Wait, he was. But you're talking about Boy Erased. (laughs) I am talking about Boy Erased. Sent away to the gay conversion camp. Is that? Yes. With Troy Sivan. Boy Erased. We're aligned. I knew what you were saying. I I thought when you were saying gloomy Lucas Hedges films, I thought you were going with Manchester by the Sea for a second. Yeah. Which Hmm. I try not to think about. No. But anyways, I was saying, it's like, I feel like this is the time of the year to like, go to the movies and escape the the sick sloshy weather and take in a film that might provide some escape, as you said. We did get our first snow in New York and you're saying sloshy. Thank God it's not there yet. But yeah, I didn't want to start off on like a super downer note, but Sophia and I had been texting earlier this week and I was like, oh my God, this week has been hellish. And she's like, oh, yeah, you know, Mercury and retrograde is ending. And I was like, great. I have a reason that I'm feeling this way, but things are looking up. I I think we're in the same boat. Like we're not feeling well, not too unwell, but <laughs> we're, we're navigating the winter SAD that I think always comes around about yes. this time. Totally. Listen, I would never know otherwise. The two of you bring such a kind, warm energy you know, every day that when we talk, but also to your podcast, which is a huge film podcast. Y'all are in the same ranks as all of these. And I wouldn't say more established, but y'all are newer, maybe two, two years. Yeah. And I have to say, 
I've listened to a lot of film podcasts and there is just something about, and I know I'm biased, you still capture the joy of film in, in an industry that I do feel can be jaded at times. Yeah, not to toot our own horn, but I feel like a lot of compliments that come about our pod is like, we have charisma, we have great conversation between us. Like, it feels like we're friends and we are like, that's not faked at all. And I think that helps us a lot, especially when you have film Twitter and you have all of these opinions and things that get repeated time and time again throughout award season. And you're trying to navigate like, oh, is this person going to win? And things are really convoluted. And we find a way to step back or just kind of neutralize everything. I mean, we have fun on the pod too, and we joke a lot and we have things that maybe don't make it to air all the time. <laughs> fair, very fair. Same. So that's kind of how we keep ourselves sane and keep each other sane throughout the award season. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I know we've talked about this before, but I really would love to know the origin story of Oscar Wilde because I don't, I think they've been doing it for three years. Wait, we could just ask them now. <laughs> Yeah, so it has almost been three years since we created Oscar Wilde, since it's been a formally okay. you know, finished show with music and everything like that. I would say it's closer to two and a half years. So you're right, right in between. But, you know, Nick, what you were saying, right, like we we talk on the show like we're friends because we are. So Nick and I have been friends for 10 years and we became friends because of our shared love of movies and I think that that is also what separates our show from other shows is that, yes, we cover award season, but it isn't really about the horse race all the time. It always, I think, goes back right. to our love of movies and always trying to stay positive. So I think that was always our goal, really, was to have this different kind of show that felt, I would say, like more mature and still conversation driven around the movies, because ultimately we wanted people to find our show because they loved movies too and to feel like they were just in the room with us. So the origin story itself, as far as I remember, it was right before the 2019 Oscars, so the ceremony in 2020, and Nick sent a text to me that just said, do you want to start a podcast? And I had always wanted to. There are actually some lost episodes of a show I tried to record with my sister. Like I wanted to always start something related to movies because I don't know. I just always had this itch to not take part in film criticism in a formal way, but to just talk about movies in a way that was shared with other people and to, you know, bring people into the world of cinema that I appreciated so much. So Nick texted me that we recorded our first episode. I was visiting New York for the weekend. We recorded an Oscar predictions episode with no outline, <laughs> no equipment, no name for the show. This episode still exists on SoundCloud. I dare say. So did you just use like a cell phone, the recording? We just did phone, like, or? we just used the voice recorder on our phone. I'm obsessed with other. this. I am obsessed. That was our practice. Was it not even the laptop? We really just sat together and we went through predictions just back and forth with each other and recorded it on a phone to send to friends. I think we sent it to you guys and to family members, some other close friends to, to just get feedback and say, you know, is this something 
that we want to pursue further. And we did. And we recorded a couple of episodes sporadically. And we really formalized the show in June of 2020, that year. That was when we started releasing episodes regularly. And we haven't stopped since. We've released so many different kinds of episodes. It has been so much fun to like meet listeners virtually and hear from people about our show. It really has just been such a rewarding experience in ways that I never really anticipated in my wildest dreams. No pun intended. Where, <laughs> where does the name where does the name come from for those who might not understand the the reference? The reference is to Oscar Wilde, obviously the the author and figure. We took off the E as a little, you know, little spin on that. But my sister Isabel actually came up with the title. We workshopped a lot. Nick, do you remember mm-hmm. any of the titles we thought we thought of? That I'm so curious. We're on the cutting room floor. No, but I think the name itself was just one that would hit. I don't remember any of the other ones. It just, I know we looked through a lot of what is out there. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing too, is like comparing what else is out there. What are you going to deliver that isn't out there? Were there any film podcasts that either of you were particularly inspired by or anything like that? I'm curious about that too. When Dylan and I started drama, there weren't theater podcasts that we were looking to. So that's why we really felt like, oh, there's a gap in the market for us to do this. But I can't imagine entering the film space, which could be probably intimidating, but also you know there is such a wide audience that is hungry for it based on how many podcasts there are about it. So like it's kind of the the balancing act of like entering a crowded field, but also knowing like the want is there, the need is there. I think the big ones for me and for us that we, I don't want to say modeled ourselves after, but definitely looked highly on were Vanity Fair's Little Gold Men and The Ringer's The Big Picture. Those were two where I think they have, they also have a lot of charisma. They have a few co-hosts and they have a lot of variety. And that was something we like required of ourselves. And, you know, the timing of our thing coming out, like people ask the same questions that you're asking, like, oh, when did you start? And it's always a qualifier. It's like, it was before COVID. Like it wasn't one of the COVID podcasts. podcasts. It was right before, like it was February when I consider it that we started. And and with those Oscars and it's interesting thinking back to then, because that was also before this whole Gold Derby thing that you guys mentioned and how I think my vision of, of award season has changed too. Like thinking about how the industry is and all of these bodies that are predicting all of the time because there is so much money behind this. And that just has changed so much as we have predicted on the show and talked to contenders and thought about them and ranked them. And there's just so much more behind this than it just being a podcast and talking about it. I think over the years that just has changed how I feel about it and I guess how I talk about it and how we talk about it. But there's still the love there, of course. Oh, totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there are so many more film podcasts now, getting back to your original question, that it's hard to get to all of them. But I think we're all in the same space. Yeah. Connor always says there's room for everyone in the podcasting world because everyone's going to have their own, you know, point of view or whatever. What do you guys think have been some of the challenges of, you know, launching when unfortunately things ended up being the pandemic, right? Because was that the, the parasite year? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that actually gave us a lot of confidence though, because we had one, we were coming off of Nick getting a perfect score on Oscar predictions. So I feel like that gave us like a little bit of credibility, which was very nice to have just to start out right with that. But then also in the pandemic, we just had so much time. Mm-hmm. And I think I became such a student of film again, watching so many films at home and really remembering why I treasured the theatrical experience so much. So my love of cinema really grew within that isolation. And I loved, I mean, it just honestly saved everything, right? Having this creative outlet to channel all of your energy into during that difficult time. And it was challenging, right? Getting started because it is a very saturated, crowded space. And we were just two people who no one knew starting our own show and really i think establishing ourselves as a new voice but also as a different type of voice Um, like you were saying nick variety was always always the touchstone for us it was something that really kept us going as like an anchor point that formulas work for specific shows and i love some podcasts that do follow formulas but for us it really was i think finding creative ways to keep our content fresh and interesting but also to always find a way to center the oscars in some way not as something to be cynical about but as something to get viewers interested in and to see how the oscars themselves aren't just this stodgy old conservative institution they can actually be a way for new film goers and new cinephiles to learn more about the films that have been celebrated in the past and maybe why they did one and we all love talking about why the losers lost so yeah yeah i think that finding ways to keep everything fresh and engaging while also drawing new people in and staying true to ourselves those are always things that will be important to us, but especially were important to us at the beginning. Mm-hmm. We are more of a theater podcast, theater entertainment type thing, but we have a lot of crossover. We talk and- about film a lot at the top of the episode or throughout. We ask our guests what they're doing, et cetera. And a lot of them are mm-hmm. in TV and film too, which is always so exciting to see. What, what right. It done. helps with the crossover. But I am curious, before we go into the Ring of Keys moment, I am curious what the two of yours experience and, and interests, where they lie when it comes to Broadway or theater or if, because you both live in New York, um, what some of your favorite things you've seen are? I'll get to this maybe as like a play on the Ring of Keys moment, or as one of them. But when I came back to New York, I saw eight shows in three weeks. Oh my god! I was like a Broadway fiend. When when, when you came back to New York from from the pandemic or from? From LA. So that was pre-pandemic and that was in 2019. I forgot that you were an LA boy. La La Land vibes. Very short, very short stint there. (laughs) But at that point, I saw, I believe, Angels of America and Mm. The Inheritance, both parts for those musicals, plays, everything. I think I've always loved Broadway, and I'm glad that there's a resurgence lately of shows and new productions coming. Have you ever seen any of your favorite film actors live in a Broadway show? So my favorite play of all time is Three Tall Women. Mm -hmm. And in that show was Glenda Jackson, who is an Oscar winner. Also in there, one of my favorite actresses, snubbed actresses, you know, she should have won an Oscar, Laurie Metcalf. And 
also Alison Pill, but I think that production is just stunning. That was such an acclaimed production. I think Glenda won that year mm-hmm. for Best Actress because she had come back from being in Parliament, I think was like the whole thing. It's like, this is her return to the stage. Interesting. Does she she does have an Oscar? She does. Wow. Yeah, she's a force. For a touch of class. Oh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Alison Pill, I was always like, who is she? She's one of the, the three titular tall women, but who at the end of the day is Alison Pill? And I still don't know. And <laughs> I don't know if anyone does, but it's okay, ultimately. I think I kind of know because she's in Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen, which is always how I think of her. Wait, that's <laughs> wait. her? Wait, wait, is she Lindsay's friend? That's Lindsay's friend, yeah. I am gagged. I had I did not realize that. I always think of Carol so Kane when I think of that movie. And her Oh me too. And Megan role. Fox. And Megan Fox, oh, yes, of course. It's a great cast. Yeah. So wow, 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 good. Wow. Hello, I'm Hannah Sox is upon us. Okay, Sophia, so yeah. sort of similar. What's your sort of touchstones when it comes to the world of theater and Broadway. I love theater. I did a Shakespeare-based study abroad program when I was at Ohio State. I don't know if you guys knew this. I did not know this. I went to London and it was all about Shakespeare. So I really love theater. Was it with Hannibal? It was. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I love plays, I think, more than musicals, but I definitely love going to musicals. Those are always so fun. I think when my family comes to visit or when I would take trips into the city when I was younger, going to musicals was so important, but a couple of plays that I really love the ferryman. I absolutely loved that play so much film stars that I love. I saw the Waverly gallery Mm -hmm. with Elaine May Yes, and just seeing her on stage was a really important moment in my life. Waverly gallery also starring our, um, our special boy, Lucas Hedges. <laughs> Lucas Hedges, yeah. And Michael Sarah. That was it was an interesting yes. group. Joan Allen as well. Oh yes. But then you mentioned Leslie Manville at the top of the show. This was off Broadway, but I saw Leslie Manville and Jeremy Irons at BAM in Long Day's Journey and Tonight. And that was just capital T theater. Wow. Oh it was God. incredible. Yes. As Mary Tyrone. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh yeah. And of course, I was interviewing her for Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, but I could not resist asking her about going into the depths of herself playing Mary Tyrone. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that is so fun. Is Leslie going to get a nomination for Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris? I don't <laughs> think so, but I would have loved that. <laughs> I loved seeing her at the Globes. And also last week, I just watched um, Good Luck to You, Leo Grand with Emma Thompson. You guys, oh, I loved it. Her acting was beyond. Emma has it. Well, she was amazing oh, yeah. just now in Matilda as well. This is the trench bowl. I still need to watch that. Oh, it's very, it's very fun. Nick, you it's loved it, right? Yeah, she never misses. I love both of those movies. And yeah, I don't know. Matilda was just so much fun. It's kind of a bummer that it kind of just slid onto Netflix at the end of the year. Like there was promotion throughout the year. I heard about it, but nothing big. Christmas time. I think it came out on Christmas. And it was like a limited. Okay. If some theaters, I think, played but it. You but you saw that clip going around Twitter of the students dancing and the joke was that you couldn't understand them and I couldn't but it's a great moment in the film it comes very late in the film as well but all of the other numbers Lashana Lynch just it's it's so fascinating I think it's a great musical that was put out in a year where we didn't have as many as last year I think it's notable no it was a huge like Tony's contender when the musical was on Broadway and it was many feel it was robbed. It was that the year that it was Kinky Boots versus Matilda. And they both were sort of up for everything. And I think Kinky Boots kind of carried the night in many ways. Okay, so I think Connor, this might be a good time for Ring of Keys. 
Yes. Okay. Well, in the absolutely incredible musical Fun Home, there's this moment where the main character, Allison, she's a young girl and she has what is described in the in the musical as a ring of keys moment because this person walks into this diner that she's at and she sees this lesbian and she's a young girl and she thinks, oh, I really identify with her. And, you know, one of the, the distinguishing features on her is she's got this big ring of keys on her. And the song is about like, her seeing every part of her from her shoes to the ring of keys to her haircut, everything. She's like, wow, I see myself in that. And this is like a light bulb moment for me of recognizing my identity. Well, we love that song. We love that moment. And so we wanted to use it for our podcast to describe that moment that you felt you were watching something, you're consuming something that light switched for you. And you were like, oh my God, I love the arts or film or TV or whatever it may be in a way that's bigger than just enjoying it. Do either of you have a ring of keys moment you want to share? Okay. So I have a few ring of keys moments, but I will be brief. I think just growing up, my parents took me to the movies a lot when I was like an infant. My dad took me to see Snow White when I was a few weeks old because he wanted it to be my (laughs) first movie in theaters, which is sort of deranged. We laugh about it as a family now, but he insists I was well-behaved and I just slept through it. But they always took me to the movies and I really just grew up loving that theatrical experience. We always had TCM on. My dad was also just this, he is this massive trivia buff with film and TV and pop culture And when my sister and I were little, we used to play this game where he would just quiz us on the most obscure facts about movies and TV. Like what won best picture in 1975? Like me as an eight-year-old having to answer that (laughs) was just really fun. And it's something that I've held on to and continue to do, right? It's just something that I really, really love thinking about just movies and TV through a historical perspective. And he also was my gateway into being obsessed with the Oscars. He got me my own Entertainment Weekly subscription. So I would read all of the fall movie previews and would cut out pictures from the magazine and would do my Oscar ballot. And I started doing my own Oscar ballots when I was really young. So like single digits. And my moment when I realized that I was into the Oscars and predicting the Oscars in a different way. And I've told Nick this story before, but I was in sixth grade and that was the year that Brokeback Mountain lost Mm -hmm. Best Picture to Crash. And I remember I hadn't seen these movies in sixth grade. I didn't watch them at the time, but I remember because I'd read Entertainment Weekly that this was a big deal. And I remember showing up to class that Monday and saying, you know, Brokeback Mountain should have won, even though I hadn't seen the movies. I just said that. And my teacher, who I feel like name dropping, she won't listen to this, Miss Cavello. She said, no, Crash was the right winner. And I just knew in my bones she, that she was she wrong. Sounds homophobic. And <laughs> honestly, like I went to yeah. a Catholic school. She probably, yeah, well, yeah. we're not going to, we won't go there, but Yeah. So that was when I got into the Oscars. And then later on, my big ring of keys moment related to film was when I saw Phantom Thread, Paul Thomas Anderson's 2017 film. And I was just crying in the theater unexpectedly because I had never engaged with a piece of art in this deep of a way. And it really inspired me to pursue podcasting and content creation related to film in a way that 
had never, ever even been a thought for me before. So I owe everything really to Paul Thomas Anderson and to Phantom Thread, but also to my parents, of course, for introducing me to movies at such a young oh age. Oh my God. I love that. You know, it's funny you mentioned Entertainment Weekly because, you know, we had a, a yeah. subscription to that too. And I read it cover to cover every week. And yeah. I think that honestly helped me really get into theater and television mm-hmm. too, because it wasn't like you're just reading people magazine and like of celebs going places. It was like, you were reading about every aspect of these, the new movies or the TV shows, or I, I know you guys just did your um, like 2023 preview episode and you tweeted something like, I think the entertainment weekly cover of their, you know, fall previews and stuff was in there. And yeah. I, that clicked for me so hard. Cause I also remember always oh, yeah. looking forward to those issues and like you said on your episode it's like it's not just like the stuff that's supposed to be good it's everything and i think that's entertainment weekly really helped shaped my my cultural viewpoints too and just like loving to consume it good bad and ugly you know um and sophia you also recently spoke at, at and beautifully and eloquently about phantom thread on a recent episode the two of you did and it, it nearly brought me to tears. So I think anybody who knows that movie or wants to understand that more should listen to that episode. It was your, was it like the AFI episode? Yeah, we did. It was our year end wrap up. So we did our top five movies of 2022 and then our top 10 movies of all time in honor of the sight and sound poll that comes out every 10 years. Yeah. So thank you. That's, yeah. that means a lot. Nick, yeah. what about you? Do you feel like you have a ring of keys moment? I do. And it's funny that we all have like the same milestones Sophia and I because (laughs) like entertainment weekly made me think of how I had the premiere magazine which is like I feel like even nerdier of a film thing to have (laughs) growing up that's classy (laughs) I've never even heard of it My dad oh, got Premiere magazine. I remember he got it from me in the magazine oh, sale. Yes. Just sell them in grade school. <laughs> that kept wow. the print media alive, let's be honest mm-hmm. here. Yeah, I don't think it lasted <laughs> too long, but it was like an insider thing. And I would also cut out photos. Like there was a photo from Ocean's Eleven of like Brad Pitt with the shaved head and George Clooney and Matt Damon, like very young. And I like kept that for a long time. Okay, gay. <laughs> I had so many cutouts. That was not the only one, but um, okay, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> I think my main ring of keys moment is from high school during AP English. Our teacher put on the graduate, and that was the first time that I had ever really analyzed a film. And he went super in depth. Like I remember talking about the scene where Dustin Hoffman jumps in the pool, and the sound of silence is playing. And there's a zoom out and he like explained what all of these things mean and why it has this profound effect on film and on camera. And I was like, oh, my God, I really love this. And I had loved movies up until that point. That wasn't like that kind of a moment for me. But like my parents had mentioned, like very young, I guess this is like a subconscious ring of keys moment that I would be able to put the VHS in the VCR player in the VCR. I don't even know what the phrase is, but I think that's um, right. Yeah. Before I could even speak before I said my first words, I could put a VHS in and just sit there and watch and rewind it and like play another one. So I've always loved movies, but I think that was the moment I knew going into college that I was like, I think I want to do more of this. And so that's just kind of snowballed into where we are today. 
That's oh that's gosh. so magical. Both of your stories. Nick, I love the VCR mention because my parents had to take specific VHS tapes away from me <laughs> because I would put them in and rewind them to certain parts and just watch <laughs> over and over and over again. <laughs> Which movie so were, cute. Do you remember? Yeah, I'm curious. Yeah, so specifically Oliver and Company, I loved watching the scene when Georgia would get ready. An amazing, morning. amazing scene. I have so many, like, so many movies now that would be on, like, best films of all times, timeless that I can cite. But no, Oliver and Company, that was the, <laughs> that one I would rewind. And then Kiki's Delivery Service, I would rewind to when she was, like, leaving for her trip. I always wanted to watch her go and leave on her, her trip to grow up and become a witch i love that movie yeah so good we had that on vhs as well in our i don't know what year it was but we had a chevy venture i think it was the year 2000 van that had like bugs bunny on it and we had a vhs player in the car and we would we kiki's delivery service is one of the movies we would watch in the car like even if our mom was driving us to like the store or school or something that was one of the ones okay wait so i need to ask you guys do you think a musical will ever win best picture at the oscars ever again Ooh. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. We came really close with La La Land. And we True. did talk, you know, we have a fabulous collaboration episode on your feed about Chicago, which was the last musical to mm-hmm. win, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. I think it just depends. I mean, on, I think one can certainly win on a preferential ballot. Musicals do usually you know, pull at the heartstrings of people, moviegoers, voters. So, yeah, I think I think it just has to be made by the right director at the right time. Ideally, a timely subject matter, not one that we've seen repeatedly. I like that La La Land was original. That was one we hadn't seen before. So I think that definitely helped it. But yeah, I think it can definitely happen again. Yeah. Sometimes when I'm watching Broadway shows, I think about like, oh, what will the movie of this be like? You know, controversial or not, I am still having a lot of trouble imagining Wicked as a film. I know. I don't know what it mm. is. I think it just works so well on stage in, in the way it's presented that I I don't know. I'm a little nervous. Whereas I think like In the Heights was like a very natural stage to film adaptation. Like you could see the block, like everything about it really, I think it was really well done for me. But like, I still can't picture Wicked. I mean, I can picture I what this Mean Girls musical movie will be like, you know. So it's really interesting when I go see stuff now. I'm like, musicals to me are kind of supposed to be a little silly. And I mean, they're literally singing, uh, you know, instead of talking. But when you turn into a movie, it, it can either like come across as too serious, like the Draven Hansen film, or just not like fun enough. So I don't know. I worry a little bit about Wicked. I'll say it. I'll say it. But the cast is good. Also that it's a two-parter. How do you guys feel about that? I just don't understand why you would end a movie with Defying Gravity that is like perhaps one of the the most epic act one closers. And then you say, oh, and and we'll revisit this in a year. It's like, oh, like I don't really know what they're going to fill it with. They're going Dune with it. They're going Dune with it. They're going Dune with it. I believe in Cynthia Erivo. I really do. But after seeing Ariana Grande's line readings on the premiere of Drag Race a couple of weeks ago, I am concerned about her ability to play the layers of Glinda. I think she'll be just fine with the act one sort of the upper class girl, but I'm very concerned about the arc because Glinda has a powerful arc in Wicked. We'll see. We'll see. She wasn't my choice. I don't necessarily know if Amanda Seyfried was either. So 
Oh my gosh, I know. Well, hang on, that's my dose of drama. So we'll get to something oh, okay, Amanda related okay. later. <laughs> um, okay, so how are you guys feeling? The Globes have happened. Oscars are fast approaching. Has this season shaken out to be the way you thought it would be so far? Like, did the Globes go basically how you thought they would? I think it was a better show than we've gotten generally recently. Like the Oscars were kind of a bore, TBH last year. And honestly, the best shows we had were like the Emmys. And that's TV and film always seems to like go on and on. And I I think that was the one problem with the Globes as I forget if it was Connor Dillon, but someone texted is like, is this over at 10? And I was like, what a tight finish (laughs) that would have been and felt like. But then it like kept going on and I was like, oh, we have the Eddie Murphy thing to happen yet. And then it was like, oh, wait, we don't know like TV awards, the big ones of those and obviously the big ones for film too and i was like oh my god this is going on and on we didn't even get an in memoriam right or did i miss something i didn't even notice that oh no, right we you're didn't. right and so it just i don't know if they cut it <laughs> like as sad as that <laughs> sounds but it went over even and i was like oh, okay this is why i i don't love these but i think overall also bearing the the intro some of the jokes didn't land, but I think the pre- presenters like Regina Hall was just show stopping. Some of those moments in the speeches really hit well. And totally. sometimes it, it feels a little lethargic and things were a little peppier this time. I think people were excited to get back. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I wanted to love the Natasha Leone moment, which I thought that was kind of funny, but I was just very distracted by her wig or whatever was going on with her hair. Cause I feel like I'm used to her having more of a, I don't want to call it a blowout, but it's more of like a, it's like a perm situation. I don't really know. I'm obsessed with her facelift. Obsessed. <laughs> obsessed. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's like seventies Liza Minnelli meets like forties noir star. <laughs> I guess she hasn't always had that accent that she has. So people on Twitter were joking that everyone who's giving Austin Butler shit for his Elvis voice need to talk to Natasha Leone because she didn't always have that. We like to call it a Margot Robbie Staten Island accent, right, Sophia? Is it, is it Staten or is it Long Island? Yeah, <laughs> Margot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Austin Butler, I considered this for a daily dose of drama, mm-hmm. but you know the the voice that people are talking about, his Elvis voice, yes, it's silly, but... You know, I'm I'm not going to complain about something that I find remarkably attractive oh, totally. and hilarious. <laughs> totally. So yeah. I, I just want him to keep doing it for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. We know he's from Anaheim. We know that's not the way he speaks. I'm fine with him just continuing his performance throughout this season and maybe into the future. Maybe in Dune part two, he'll have some sort of that voice. <laughs> <laughs> but he said this is his voice. And that's what's driving me yes. nuts is it's not your voice. Just... <laughs> <laughs> enough but he accepted his award and he was like doing the the elvis smolder oh, and i was like oh my god i was into it <laughs> that's <laughs> that scene in elvis where it's sort of his introduction and all the girls are literally orgasming for the first time while watching it <laughs> at first i thought it was outrageous then i was like looking at him and i was like well that's me when i see harry styles perform you know what i mean it's like <laughs> i'll never forget one direction came to the shoe which is direction i would say one direction they came to the shoe aka buckeye stadium here in columbus for their final tour as a four piece and a young girl probably like 12 years old was screaming in agony and anguish when niall horan sang 
I want to say it was a song Rock Me, which is like one of their more rock influenced pop songs. And I literally thought to myself, she became a woman at this concert. Like this is a big, <laughs> it's a ring of keys in many ways, you know? So I understand that Elvis's impact. I'm curious about something. What is your favorite category at the Oscars? Best actress, always. I'm going to say best international feature. That tracks. Connor, what about you? I don't want to be boring, but it's it's best actress. I mean, <laughs> not that it's a boring answer. I just care so much about who has that award. I really do. I really, really do. I feel like best supporting actress is more fun on stage. Best featured actress and for the Tonys. For mm-hmm. some reason, that's more fun to me because best supporting actress, I feel like they usually kind of lock in and then win. I'm thinking about like um, Marriage Story year and then West Side Story year last year. Like we kind of just see who it is and they keep it going. But I do wonder if this year it'll be a tighter race between like Angela Bassett and Very maybe, maybe, maybe someone from Everything Ever All at Once. Is Jamie Lee going to win? No. Yeah. No. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so. I think really, like, if she was going to win, she would have won the Globe. Jamie Lee Curtis was very vocal in her support for the Hollywood Foreign Press when no one else was. So the fact that they didn't give her that award, I think, is a big deal and chose to give it to Angela Bassett instead. I'm not sold on Angela Bassett winning the Oscar because she's in a Marvel film, and I don't know if that can right take you over the edge into a win when you have people like Jamie Lee and Stephanie Hsu from Everything Everywhere All at Once and Carrie Condon from The Banshees of Inisher in these movies that the Academy might like more mm-hmm. than Black Panther Wakanda Forever. But if anyone is overdue for an Oscar, Angela Bassett mm-hmm. is certainly on that list of people. I mean, she was, I love the piano, but I do consider her loss for what's love got to do with it a robbery in broad daylight and who won that year <laughs> was it like 94 95 holly hunter for the piano yeah hunter for the piano. it's a good win but yeah i would have gone with angela bassett that year yeah wow wow did she even get the oscar nomination she was nominated okay. she won a globe that year but because it was split mm-hmm. comedy musical and drama they both won and then holly won the oscar wow 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 I love that kind of stuff. Oh my God. My favorite category is featured actor. Cause I think they're not afraid to go weird with it. Sometimes supporting on film. Sorry, supporting, supporting, supporting. (laughs) They do go weird with it sometimes. Yeah. You never know what what it's going to be. Like, I love that Heath Ledger has that, you know, there's just certain things. I think that if Chadwick would have been in supporting, I think he would have won maybe for Ma Rainey. Okay. I could, I could talk trivia and stuff like that all the time. What do you think is going to win best picture? Right now at this moment in time, I have everything everywhere all at once winning. Wow. Which if you would have asked me that weeks ago, even I would have said no months ago, I would have said it's not getting nominated for picture. This season has been surprising in a lot of ways. I think seeing just what people are responding to and the types of films that people are ready to lift up Mm. for me it's a three-way race between everything everywhere all at once the fablemans and the banshees of inish sharon Mm -hmm. nick what do you think yeah i was gonna say the same thing it's it's three films at the top for me for a while i would say about like a month ish it's been everything everywhere all at once but it's gonna come down to some of those guilds we're getting pga which is producers which if that goes to the fablemans i think it can shake things up a lot because 
with it winning over Elvis at the Globes, that really shook me because I had Elvis in drama because of so much support seemingly from the industry, which is who is voting for the Oscars. And then just from critics and, and screenings everywhere happening. But and then musical or comedy, I had everything everywhere. But then the Banshees of Inishirin took that at the Globes. And that also threw me. I'm like, oh, my God, what is happening? So if PGA goes not how we're expecting, if everything everywhere doesn't win there, then we could very much have maybe a split for how we're not imagining it. Because I, I don't think the Daniels are going to win director. I think it's Spielberg's game still. But if the Fable wins, wins both. I, I will be so shocked. Mm. Have you seen all three of those movies? The Fable yes. wins everything and okay. The uh, yeah. Banshees. I think Fable wins was my favorite of the three, but Banshees has really stayed with me. So it's hard to say. I um watched everything everywhere all at once on my 2014 Roku. So I really just think that I need to... Watch it on a bigger screen or something. With, if it were to be re-released in theaters, I think I would be a little bit more able to experience it a little bit better. Yeah. That of the three is my least favorite. I understand completely why people are so drawn to it and champion it and love it. I'm seeing it again for the first time since I watched it in theaters when it came out in a few weeks with a Q&A oh, cool. with the Daniels. So oh. I'm, I'm hoping you know that gives me maybe a new perspective on the movie. But, you know, it does make you think, does this have that type of energy that Parasite had to beat 1917 and to get that big sweep? I don't know the answer to that because, yes, the Fablemans is strong, but Banshees is popping up everywhere it needs to. And it has the searchlight machine behind it. They know how to win. Michelle's going to win, right? For Best Actress? I don't know. (gasps) I'm feeling like emotionally connected to her. I think Kate gave probably the best acting performance I've ever seen in my entire life in Tar. But (laughs) I'm not even kidding. Like, I don't know. I just feel like I want this from Michelle. And we'll still remember Tar forever. Yeah, one of you said on a recent episode, you feel like that performance will be one of the great ones. You think, oh, why didn't this win an Oscar? Or it could have won an Oscar. It was me because I think Michelle's going to win. It's totally deserved. But like five years down the line or 10 years or when I'm on my deathbed, I'll look back and say, Kate Blanchett and Tar is one of the, and, I, and I'm and i saying that right now, I saw after I said it, one of the top five performances of all time. Mm. She put her heart and soul into it. And every single moment from the first shot to the last sequence, it's just beyond. But I'm here for Michelle and what she deserves and, you know, talking about her speech from the Globes and, you know, wanting that time being in this industry for 40 plus years and the history that she's had and Kihoi Kwan has had. It's it's undeniable that she deserves that award and Kate already has too. And I am like totally okay within the politics of the Oscars, which is usually how things sway in Kate not winning here. And Kate's okay not winning too. That's the thing, right? You can you can tell that this is a performer, this is an actor who is very, very supportive of all of the other people, right, who are in this award season so far and all of her collaborators too. It's it's so tricky because like listening to everything that you guys have said, it does make me wonder though, right? It's like if a lot of people are thinking Kate Blanchett gave the best performance I've ever seen in my life. Some of those people are going to vote for her, even though she has two Oscars already, Mm. because 
the performance is that strong. And if you like Tar, if you like all 158 minutes or however long it is, she is in nearly every minute of that film. And it is impossible, I think, to see that and to think, like, I'm not going to vote for her. However, Michelle has never been nominated before. And she's had this amazing career. And I don't think that this Oscar would be one of those career Oscars that you give to Al Pacino or Leo or these people who have somehow never won before and the Academy decides now is the time. This would be a deserved yeah. win too, right? She gives a perform a great performance in that movie where she's playing multiple versions of herself. That's an incredible feat too. So I think, and I've said this many times too, we are just so lucky to have a race right now, the way it's shaking out to be between two actors as great as Kate Blanchett and Michelle Yeoh, because sometimes this category, it's like, really, we're going with a biopic right now. I know. When we have all of these amazing people who are nominated. So I'm very happy with that. And I think I've said many times too, and I think this is something with Tar that I love is that, you know, how many times have we ever seen a woman able to play a role like Lydia Tarr. It never happens, right? They're, those roles are given to men. They're given to the Pacinos and the Daniel Day-Lewis's and the Gene Hackman's. They're just not written for women because people are afraid to do that. But the role that Michelle Yeoh has, that role doesn't exist either, True. right? That is an even bigger anomaly than the Lydia Tarr role. And the fact that that part originally was written for Jackie Chan instead of her that's i mean that's a huge deal too that i i don't think enough people are talking about that's a crazy fact you know it's interesting about the biopic thing because i do support austin butler winning but with theater <laughs> with the tonys the last three ceremonies for the tonys that we've had a biopic biomusical winner has won in either best actress or actor i mean this year there is one that could be up for it for this neil diamond musical but it's not getting a lot of buzz or traction but it is very early in the broadway season so it is our stuff will happen in like april may i don't know wow okay. fascinating oh my really gosh quick, okay i'm curious about the two of you who would be your favorite actor to see in a broadway play or musical you don't have to pick what the show would be but who's someone that you would immediately buy tickets to see well if you force daniel day lewis out of retirement put him in death of a salesman i am there immediately i need that or Iceman Cometh. Life. I could see him doing oh, that. Oh, Iceman Cometh. Yeah, mm -hmm. I want just like a big, meaty, yes. classic play in Daniel Day-Lewis on stage. Mm -hmm. But then also, I talked about this on our Kate Winslet episode. I want her to be on Broadway. I feel like she would kill it. Yeah. She would. I wonder if she's ever done Broadway. I don't think so. She hasn't. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, Viola Davis, because I've I've never seen her on stage and I... I can imagine that that's one of the greatest experiences that you can have in a theater mm -hmm. is watching her. I think all this talk yeah. about Kate Blanchett, like why not her? Yes. Has she done anything recently? Well, Cause she feels like a stage presence. She did a really boring play called the, I think it was called the present or the gift. Oh yeah. <laughs> no one liked that. It was like almost like so under the radar. I, so. I actually need to look this up now. Cause I forgot about it. Yeah. It was Broadway. It wasn't the West End. It was Broadway. Yeah, it was wow. Broadway. It was at Manhattan Theater Club. Anything that you're looking forward to seeing on Broadway this season? I'm very excited. So I already have my tickets with a few friends. We're seeing Sweeney Todd end of February. Yeah. So excited. I'm so ready. I mean, talking about this show from, was it Jersey Girl? Or I think it was Jersey Girl in the movie. Oh my God, it was Jersey Girl. <laughs> Woof. 
This is this is a Benefer throwback that we talk about on oh. our Patreon, yes. a bonus series. But I love the movie with Johnny Depp, uh, for better or worse. That musical, I love the music and that production, the like Tim Burton of it all, I loved. So I'm ready for a stage performance. And I know there was one a few years ago where, where like people would sit at tables and it was very interactive, but mm-hmm. I didn't go see that. We did. It was it was very good. But this is going to be Broadway. It's going to be huge. 26 piece orchestra. Yeah. Amazing. Wow. Nick, you're a rare person who likes that Johnny Depp, Sweeney Todd. But I will say Stephen Sondheim, he said it was one of the only adaptations of his work that he actually liked translated into film. So you have a Sondheim sensibility. Oh, amazing. Aww. Yeah. And <laughs> Helena Bonham Carter, I think, did slay Mrs. Lovett in that. Absolutely. Sophia, what about you? Anything this season you're excited about? Yeah, I do want to see Sweeney Todd. I saw Josh Groban in The Great Comet Ooh, yeah. mm-hmm. a few years ago. So I'm excited to see him in Sweeney Todd, but then also A Doll's House with Jessica Chastain. I am a huge Ibsen fan. I love Ibsen's plays. So I feel like this will just be incredible to see on stage. And it's one that I've never seen on stage. I've only read it. So I yeah. need to get my tickets. Yes, soon. me too. I think she could get a Tony this year, which would be kind of fun to get that the year after her Academy Award. So. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. So we have to say goodbye soon. But before we do, we like to end on a dose of drama, something that's on your mind, something that's in your heart. You can't stop thinking about it. could be something you just consumed, want to recommend, rant about, rave about. For me, we've been talking a lot about like theater and film and crossover today. And just this week, we found out that there is a musical adaptation of Thelma and Louise in the works with and Rachel Wood and Amanda Seyfried. Is it Seyfried or? Seyfried. Seyfried. I'm so excited. I think it's going to be great. And, you know, we do know that Evan Rachel Wood can sing because she was the voice of the mother in Frozen 2. So, you know, I think it'll be fun. And she was in Across the Universe, Connor. Oh, I forgot about yeah. that. And she was supposed to be Mary Jane Watson in the Spider-Man Broadway, but parted ways because that was in development hell for a long time. Oh, wow. And then it was Jen Damiano. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Wow. So anyway, I'm really excited. You know, there's so many movies being turned into musicals, and sometimes I care and sometimes I don't, but Thumb and Louise is such an amazing movie, and I'm really excited to see them do it on stage. So uh, it's going to be on stage, right? It's not going to be turned into a movie movie, right? Nay, it's for the stage. For the stage? Okay. Mm-hmm. Dylan, do you have a dose of drama? I do. It's Golden Globes related. Ooh. Eddie Murphy received the DeMille Award. At the end, he decided to reference the Will Smith slap moment that I think beat the 24-hour news cycle last year by being everywhere, everything everywhere all at once, to be honest with you, for what felt like forever. And it dominated (laughs) every conversation regarding the Oscars and everything like that. I am just so annoyed. Like, imagine how tired we are of hearing about this. Like, he wants to move on. We need to move on. It's not funny anymore. It never really was funny. It's insane. And my drama is that I just want us to move on past the slap. It's almost like that whole like La La Land, Moonlight Snafu. Like, I just want us to move on and like, let it just be something that happened one time and we don't dwell on it. Dylan, I'm with you. I yeah, almost said this too, <laughs> because the way to end your career award speech, you're going to say that mm. it was like killed the vibe, at least for me. I don't I don't know about in the room or like how people felt because there was applause. But I was like, oh, my God, like 
Jamie Lee Curtis was up there giving this amazing like co-intro and kind of had attitude yeah. with her. I don't I don't know their mm-hmm. relationship. It was odd. He was like not responding to anything in the crowd too. He was like trying to stay very neutral, mm-hmm. which was mm-hmm. kind of huh. odd. It felt like his entire speech was all in service of that final punchline and the way that he delivered it, which was quite strange. I have to be honest. I was brushing my teeth during that entire thing. So I don't I didn't actually see this. Um, And I will also say there was a troubling amount of Norbit in his package that was played before. Which I, I do think out is camp. That movie is camp. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Okay, Nick, do you have a dose of drama? I do. So it's. A show that I've kind of been loving, and yes, like we come from a film podcast, but we can finally talk about television here, so yeah. I have to. But it also <laughs> alludes to that episode that we talked about Chicago in our crossover. Yes, I am crazy about National Treasure Edge of History on Disney Plus right now. <laughs> what? I love that. And Sophia knows that I always try to bring up National Treasure if I can into a covers the Nicolas Cage vehicle <laughs> literally always this was also a VHS that my sister and I got taken away from us <laughs> when we were young this is one of my favorite scores by Trevor Rabin but in this show obviously like treasure hunting is going on Catherine Zeta Jones plays the villain and she has this wig which is just insane but it also is a blonde counterpart to what she had in chicago her bob in that movie oh so she is just total camp she is amazing as this villain like the lines that she has her line reading is impeccable like things in big little lies do they get away with murder as she's like kidnapping this teenager and like it's it's wild and disney plus is releasing this weekly it's not a binge which is infuriating like i just i just need more of this um a friend of the pod a friend of drama is one of the series regulars on there his name's antonio cipriano he's cute he plays orin oh yes he's the one that gets kidnapped does he wow he's very cute yes so cute he's so nice his ex-girlfriend is Renee Rapp, actually. I wow. Know. They were together for years. He was an extra in a lot of scene, background extra in a lot of scenes of Sex Lives of College Girls season one. Ooh. I think yeah. it was one of those things where they were like quarantined on set together and they're like, oh, he can just like be around. Anyways. Okay. Sophia, do you have a dose of drama to wrap up this fabulous chat? I do have a daily dose of drama. Wow. I'm so excited for this. This is like the <laughs> segment I was looking forward to the most. In all my years of listening to drama, my daily dose of drama is that I am obsessed with Kate Hudson on her press tour for Glass Onion. I love her so much and everything that she's bringing to this press tour. First, she does Actors on Actors with Glenn Powell, and it has an energy I can only describe as we've hooked up before Mm. and no one knows it. (laughs) I love that. I'd watch that. <laughs> Which, like, I'm not putting that rumor out there, but that is the energy. That's what's going on between mm-hmm. them. And she revealed that she saw Top Gun Maverick in Union Square. So I'm like, was she just at this Regal? <laughs> is it a Regal there? That's insane. Did she go there? The AMC. Yes. Oh my God. That Regal in Union Square. And there's an AMC there. <laughs> so I'm like, was she just, does she just go to the movies in Union Square? I'm obsessed with her. And then she does a lie detector with Janelle Monet, <laughs> which is wonderful. 
And she shares that Billy Crudup was a better kisser than Matthew McConaughey, which was the truth that spoke to me personally. Mm. I really liked this reveal. Mm, I like that too. Excellent. And finally, she went on Hot Ones and shared my favorite fact I've maybe ever heard (laughs) from a celebrity, which is that when she was on the movie set that we've talked about many times, the infamous Nine. Mm. Yes. The Daniel Day-Lewis, who for listeners... I love Daniel Day-Lewis so much. My cat is named after him. Daniel Day-Lewis wrote her letters in character on custom stationery. Iconic. I was like, what? Did she have Be Italian? Was that her number in that movie or was that Fergie's number? Fergie did Be Italian. Kate Hudson has that one where she's like just saying Guido, Guido, Guido over and over again. Because she was Oscar nominated for Almost Famous, I feel like there has to be a Kate Hudson episode coming down the pike for y'all. Oh, yeah. I would love that. Maybe After Dark, which is y'all's Patreon that everyone should subscribe to. But she also just announced, Kate Hudson, that she has a a lucrative music contract with, I want to say, Universal Records, that she's going to be releasing music. Fascinating. See, she's the gift that keeps Mm -hmm. on giving. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and obviously we know she could sing. She was in nine. She was in, she had that arc on Glee. So Bruce Springsteen pulled her up on stage to sing with him. She talked about this in the press tour too. Yeah. She's like a Nepo baby that I feel like done the damn thing. And like, isn't just like riding on their parents' coattails. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's I agree. so watchable. Almost famous. Do you guys like her role as Penny Lane? I do. I mm-hmm. have a soft spot mm-hmm. for almost famous for sure. That hit me at like a very formative time. I think in my my movie watching journey. I've never seen Almost Famous. I think it's worth it. What? Oh, we should watch. You need to watch we'll it. it. We to, should do an episode yeah. on it. This is very exciting to me. The cast is stacked and Frances McDormand is in it. I guess I'm shocked that this movie, again, something I haven't seen, it was turned into a musical. How did you like, did they, yeah. was it all original music? It was. They did include some of the hits from the film, like Tiny Dancer and a few other songs, which I think are like some of the iconic moments in the film. So it really Mm -hmm. helped elevate it. And I do like a lot of the original songs. I I did and do stand by this that there are some bops. I agree. We'll listen you too. This has been so much fun. I hope you two have had fun on drama. I'm so happy. This is amazing. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. It's, I love so that you fun. kind of introduced us in the beginning as like someone you've wanted to get for your pod. Like we're so hard to get to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. Like we've shared the same RSS space as Aaron <laughs> to be like, wow. <laughs> I know. No, I mean, it's true. We love you guys. And we, thank you so much for doing the show. And I can't wait to see all of the fun things Oscar Wilde has coming up. The Contender series is one of my favorite things you guys do. So I'm I'm stoked. Well, thank you so much for that. We yeah, it was it was so much fun to come on here today. It really was, I think, a long time coming just getting mm-hmm. together. And for listeners of drama, what we do on the Contender series, we actually spend time going through all 23 Oscar categories. So not just the big ones. We talk about animated live action and documentary short we go through all of the original songs we talk about what work went into all of the visual effects nominees and it's a really great way i think to appreciate the oscars more but also just appreciate the craft of filmmaking and to think about what goes into making a movie and all of the hard work of all of the artisans and craftspeople that don't get a lot of credit all the time so yeah i love that series that's coming up very very soon 
you guys put in so much work. It is, it is amazing. And I, I mentioned this before we hit record, but the way, fact that it's mostly just the two of you on there, it is not easy to just carry that conversation the whole time, just as two people. Cause Connor and I think shine best when we're able to bounce something off of somebody else as well. And I really admire the way that your chemistry comes alive while still talking. You know, you talk facts, you talk opinions, but it's really, really amazing. Everyone should, of course, follow y'all. You're at Oscar Wilde Pod, but they should follow you too as individuals as well, because there are also really amazing content hot takes, especially on Twitter <laughs> that you have you put out there. Where can everyone find you? You can find me at <laughs> Sauerkraut27 on Twitter. So that's S-A-U-E-R-K-R-A-U-T, the number 27. And you can find me on Twitter at Sophia underscore Sim. And my letterbox is also linked there. You can follow me and see what I'm watching. And like Dylan said, you can find our podcast on Instagram and Twitter at Oscar Wilde Pod. We release episodes every Friday. So follow us, like, subscribe, whatever you do with the podcast that you love. And the Patreon we mentioned. So oh, yeah. we had a Benefer series that was really fun. We talked about their highs and lows. <laughs> And we have yet to finish <laughs> that series. We also covered the holiday, which was a lot of fun and talking about Kate and Cameron and Jude and all of that. Jack Black too, obviously. Of course, of course. But we also covered Ma, which we had been wanting to do forever. And we have plenty in the works for 2023. So check that out as well. That's patreon.com slash Oscar Wilde. You two are phenomenal podcasters, but also you're amazing friends. So thank you guys for doing this with us. Aww. And now, of course, everyone already follows us, right? <laughs> We're at The Drama Podcast. Connor's at Connor McDowell. I am at Dylan McDowell. And Connor, I will see you next time. Drama! Drama.